0: If you're new with us, my name's Shannon, one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're with us uh, this third Sunday of Advent as we come to light uh, not only the hope and the love candle, but the joy one as well and rejoice in our Savior's birth. Uh, When you came in, you should have found one of these cards in the seat where you are seated, and on one side of that's a place for a little information about you so we can send you some information about us on the other side is a place for any prayer needs that might exist in your life so we can pray with you and for you. If you fill out one of these cards there's a box at the kiosk in the back of the room back there you can drop it in there on your way out and we'd be happy to connect with you, answer any questions that you have or get you information about Redeemer. If you got a Bible with you this morning, you can open to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing this series entitled Jesus Changes everything and we've been looking at some very non-traditional what we might say non-traditional christmas texts or advent texts As we've been looking at the themes of hope and love and joy this week and next week peace so this week we come to first peter chapter one and we'll pick up reading it in verse three and we'll read down through verse nine together if you don't have it in front of you it should be on the screen behind me so you can follow along as we read together 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 reads as follows Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's Word. Well, this year has been unlike any other, at least in my memory, and I'm sure in yours as well. And so as we come to the conclusion of this year, celebrating this season of Advent, we, we decided not to go to the ordinary text, but to some non-traditional text and look at these themes because I believe hearing about our hope in Christ rooted firm and strong, hearing about the love of God that changes not only our future and our hope, but also our family and adopting us as His children and bringing us in as His sons and daughters, causing us to be born again. Hearing about joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory and about a peace that Jesus gives Not as the world gives, but as the world he can give is what we need most right now. And so the the isolation and depression that people have experienced and encountered, the loss of economic stability as folks have lost jobs and streams of revenue and income, not knowing where my next paycheck is going to come from or how I'm going to get food on my table. And so this morning, as we take a look at the text, we want to look at it through the lenses of seeing how joy changes not only our future, but also our present today, here and now. And so as we take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, we want to see the source of Christian joy, the character of Christian joy, and then I want to admonish you to do a couple of things about it. So that's where we're going this morning. So let's take a look at first of all the source or the root of Christian joy. What is the root? What does it tell us that Christian joy is rooted in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do? Okay, past, present, and future. What He has done? Past, what he is doing now in the present, and what he will do one day in the future. Look, church, in verse 6, the little word this in verse 6 is referring back to verses 3 to 5, in which Peter outlines what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Look at what he says in verses 3 to 5. He says, What God has done according to his great mercy. He has caused, has caused what? Past tense, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter says what God has done, not according to my merit, not according to your merit, not, God didn't look down and go, those folks look worthy of my grace. Those individuals look worthy of my love. Those individuals or those people down there, they've got it together. Look, they are well formed. Right? They are, they're some good folks. He didn't look down and see all the merits that we've stacked up and go, they are deserving of the new birth. Rather, he looked down, saw no one was deserving of it, but according to his mercy, not according to our merits, he caused us past tense. If you're a Christian in the room this morning, Listen, the reason that you are in Christ, the reason that God has adopted you into his family is because he has caused you to come to life. It's on him. He's brought you to life from the dead. He's caused you to be born again to a living hope. Right? Our hope is not dead, it's alive because our hope is a person. His name is Jesus who's been raised from the grave. This is what God has done, past tense. He's brought you to life if you're in Christ this morning. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as the Holy Spirit raised Him, so also it gave you new life if you're in Him today. Past tense. Present tense. What He is now doing. Peter says, "...who by God's power are being guarded through faith." Right? You are now presently being. Something is going on where God is working on your behalf, to keep you, to protect you, to defend you, and to guard you through faith and continued trust that God is in control. He is doing that now. He brought you to life. He sustains you, keeps you, and protects you now. And then what He will do, verses 4 and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, Peter says... He says there's something waiting for you in the future, an inheritance in the future that he says is imperishable, It doesn't spoil, doesn't have an expiration date like milk, doesn't go bad and sour on you, it's undefiled, in other words, absolutely pure, there is no contamination in it whatsoever and unfading, it will never lose its brilliance. It will never lose its shine, Peter says. And it's kept in heaven. Who's keeping it? God is keeping it for you for this salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time whenever Christ one day returns to bring this age to a close and open up an eternal age. That's what God will do. What He has done, what He is now doing, and what He will do, and Peter says, listen, don't miss this. This is the root of Christian joy. Because Peter says in verse 6, in this, in what? In what God has done, in what He is now doing, and what He will do one day in the future. In this, you rejoice. This is the source of elation, ecstasy, and joy in the Christian life. Not only for Peter's readers, but for you and I today as well. Listen, you are going to be on an endless quest for joy, for delight, for a source of happiness and contentment in this life, unless you see that it's rooted firmly and steadfastly in what God has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. Now listen, you may object and push back a little bit and say, listen preacher, you don't know Like, I hear all that, but you don't know what's going on with me. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know the kinds of consequences I've experienced on account of my own actions and the ways that I've treated others and how those have come back on me. There's no way that I could have joy. Because of all that I've been through, I've experienced so much grief. But I want you to notice what Peter says. The first character quality of this joy is this joy that's rooted in God's work, not mine, in His work, Peter says Christian joy is an even though kind of joy. Some of you missed that, right? Christian joy is an even though kind of joy. See, when most of us think of joy, we think of joy and grief as being mutually exclusive of one another. Right? We think of joy being something that we do celebrate at weddings, right? Right? I've been to a wedding this fall. We think of grief as something that we experience at funerals. I've conducted a funeral this fall, right? I've experienced both of those things. The elation and height of love and joy and the depths of pain, heartache, and grief. And we think those things are mutually exclusive. But I want you to consider what Peter says here. He says that joy and grief are not separate experiences, but simultaneous ones. Not separate ones, but simultaneous. He doesn't present a picture where joy is present and grief is not, or grief is present and joy is not. Rather, he says, you are rejoicing even though this life, even though this is happening around you. Listen to what he says in verses 3-6. to He talks about what God has, is, and will do, is right now producing joy in our hearts, even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Even though there are trials in your life, even though you've been isolated, even though you've experienced loss, even though you've experienced hardship, even though you've received a diagnosis, even though there's still joy. And by a little while, here's what Peter means. He's not saying, oh, it's going to last a week, or it's going to last a month, or it might last a year. Maybe 18 months. What he's saying is this a little while from the perspective of eternity is a lifetime. That's what a little while is. Right? Even even though for a little while in this life, as Paul would use elsewhere, he would talk about his light and momentary affliction, which for him was a life sentence in prison. Right? For the rest of his life, he's gonna live out his days in a cell. That was a light and momentary affliction in light of the weight of eternity. A little while is a lifetime compared to eternity. And in our English translation, the word translated various trials literally means this. It means many-colored. Okay, Think of this like a stained glass window that has all these shades, all these hues, right? all these, these, these colors there. Are, it, 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 it's where we get our word variegated from. You know what a variegated leaf is on a plant? It's one that has multiple veins of color running through it. So in other words, Peter's saying there are all sorts of colors, hues, and shades of trials that we experience in this life. There are all sizes, shapes, and forms. He doesn't have in mind one particular kind of trial, but the range, full range of human experience from the slightest rolling of eyes that you might get whenever you mention the name of Jesus in your workplace or in your school. Right To a spouse who doesn't respond emotionally the way that you would like them to or the way that you want, desire, and need them to. Or to a child who's in rebellion or to threats of lawsuits or the loss of a job, the embedded shrapnel of sin that might be in your family and the collateral damage that may have caused. Right? The, a gun to your head or even a tumor in your body. The full range of human experiences, these various trials that we experience over the course of a lifetime. And he says, even though all these things are true in your experience. Christian joy is an even though kind of joy because you're not exempt from any of these experiences. And yet you're still rejoicing because God has caused your new birth, raised Jesus from the dead, is guarding you now, and has an inheritance, something brilliant and glorious for you in the future. Waiting for you in heaven. It's an even though kind of joy. Now Peter doesn't stop there because look in verse 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen, in Peter's mind, gold is likely the most valuable commodity that he could fathom or imagine in his day. And he says, Even gold is put to the fire to refine it to burn out the dross and the impurities and leave behind a more pure metal. And Peter says, listen, if you can imagine the most precious, the most valuable resource or commodity that this world has to offer, he says your faith is more precious than that. And it, in the same way as gold, is put to the fire to reveal its genuineness and to purify it. Faith makes provision for you in this life and the life to come, which is why it's more valuable and it's put to the test to see whether or not you will hold fast whenever the temperature rises in your life and things get heated. Now, back in verse 6, we read two little words, a little conditional phrase that says, if necessary. Now let me ask you a question. We've got to deal with this. okay? We have to deal with this. Who would deem it to be necessary right who deems it necessary in our lives do our enemies deem it to be necessary does our spouse deem it to be necessary does your boss at work when he raises his voice and demands deadlines does he deem it necessary do the leaders of our executive legislative or judicial branches deem the trials necessary does the mainstream media deem it to be necessary Does your insurance company deem it to be necessary? Does your family deem it to be necessary? Your children deem it to be necessary? Does Satan, our great enemy, deem it to be necessary? Who deems it to be necessary? Listen, church. While all of these may, in their minds, deem it necessary, there is one above all who deems it necessary for the purpose that's articulated in this text. So that the tested genuineness of your faith Your faith might be refined. Listen, who deems it necessary to melt away all of your self-confidence whenever you walk through a trial of various kinds? Who deems it necessary to strain out your independence? Who deems it necessary to purge you of your own self-reliance? Who deems it necessary to burn off and bring to the surface all of your self-sufficiency, all of your autonomy, all of your self madeness Who deems it necessary for that? Not the media. Not politicians. Not your spouse. Not your boss. Not your kids. No one deems it necessary for those purposes other than God Himself. God is the one deeming it necessary to that end, church. These trials that we experience of various kinds, of all shapes, sizes, and forms, all different colors, God has deemed necessary. So there is nothing that you have walked through in the past, there is nothing that you are now experiencing in the present, and there is nothing that you will encounter in the future. That's a trial of various kinds that God has not deemed purposeful and necessary in your life to refine your faith to make it pure, to burn stuff out of your life that is destroying you. There is nothing that He has not deemed necessary that has come down the road of your life. So what this means, church, is this, that all this stuff that you've heard It's circulating out there in the winds of our culture how it's always God's will for you to be promoted and never passed over, demoted, or fired. How it's always God's will for you to be respected and never neglected. Always God's will for you to be prosperous and never experience poverty. It's always God's will for you to be well and never get sick. Those things are not true, they are a lie. I don't know how to say it any stronger than they are a lie. Because Christian joy, listen church, is not circumstantial. It's an even though kind of joy. Second thing that characterizes this joy is that it's weighty and wordless. In verse 8, Peter says that the life of faith is characterized by a love for, belief in, and joy from Jesus, whom we have never seen But we love and are longing for, it's inexpressible, he says, and filled with glory. It's inexpressible and filled with glory. In other words, the word inexpressible means this. Essentially, I I cannot find words to articulate the emotions that I'm experiencing as I rejoice in what God has, is, and will do you ever found yourself there? Listen, if you are a Christian, there have been moments in your life, I'll say the same thing I said last week, it may not happen every day, it may not happen every week, it may not happen every month, but it happens from time to time in your life where you are overwhelmed with joy, like a volcano that is erupting and spilling over the brim of your life, and you cannot find the words to put your emotions into some sensible articulation. okay? They're just not coming. Peter says that's the kind of joy that Christians experience, even though it's a wordless kind of joy, but it's also, he says, filled with glory. Peter's trying to imagine, how can I describe it to you when it's indescribable? So it's just filled with glory. You know what the word glory meant in the Old Testament? (laughs) You're going to like this, right? It meant heavy. In fact, there, was lot, there were several kings in the Old Testament who, who their glory was their heaviness, literally, right? They were big men, okay? And so they were very overweight, obese, on their throne. And in the New Testament, that concept of glory carries similar, similar ideas. There's a weightiness, there's a heaviness, there's a substantialness to joy that anchors us and roots us and holds us fast, even though, even though, church, even though the winds are blowing, even though this rain is falling, even though the waves are pounding against us. It's filled with glory. It's majestic. And I can't even describe it. Let me see if I can make it plain for you like this. So, uh, a few years ago, I found myself on a plane to Florida to conduct a wedding for uh, a longtime friend, and I was seated next to a, uh, a lady, an, an older lady, who was traveling to Florida for the birth of a first grandchild, All right, And so, you know, there were other kids on the plane, and they, they were doing what kids do on a plane, you know what I'm saying? And so... Uh, It was a little chaotic up there in the front seats, uh, but we were sitting towards the back and we were just, you know, laughing and smiling because it wasn't our kid who was doing that stuff up in the front seats. But I remember talking to this lady, okay, and she was talking about how she was going to Florida. She couldn't wait to get her hands on that grandbaby right? She couldn't wait to hold it in her arms. She couldn't wait to nurture it. She couldn't wait to rock it. She couldn't wait to sing to it. She couldn't wait to whisper to it. She couldn't wait to hand it off, to have the diaper changed. You know what I'm saying? Right? She couldn't wait to see the baby. And it brought me back to remembering whenever my kids were born, when both of mine were born. And I can remember standing there in the delivery room, and I can remember my wife, God bless her, Right, writhing in the pains of labor, and me holding her hand, saying, "Baby, you can do it. Right, you got this. You're 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 doing great." Right, and her looking at me with these eyes that are piercing. Okay? But I remember holding her hand and as we, we expected the arrival of our son. And he was born. And as soon as they made sure he was okay, the nurses put him in my arms. And I remember holding him for the first time. The miracle of birth. And I remember my soul being flooded with joy. As I, we had waited and waited and waited for this child... Through one miscarriage and then nine months of pregnancy and anticipation and now this child was here in our arms. My daughter, the same thing. Here comes daddy's little girl and they put her in my arms and I hold her and I look down at her and she's just wriggling and writhing and all dirty and bloody and all the stuff that comes with a child being born. But my soul was flooded with joy. So we've been waiting for the arrival of this little girl. Now, imagine, church, the joy of holding and filled with glory. It's weighty. It anchors us and it's wordless because I can't even put it into words at times. It's an even though kind of joy, a weighty and wordless kind of joy, but finally, listen, church, it's a potent joy. It's powerful in our lives. Listen, in the text, Peter says this. He says, Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. You trust in Him. Your faith is in Him. But He didn't stop there. As if to say, well, you know, that's, that's what it is, right? This lackadaisical belief that maybe Jesus is who He says He is. Maybe an intellectual assent to the tenets of the Christian faith. That's not what He's saying. Rather, Peter goes on to say, that the kind of faith right, that saves is a faith that is filled with joy. That's the kind of faith that obtains the outcome of the salvation of your soul. It's not to look at Jesus and go, yeah, he's all right. right? He's got some good things to say. Right? Some really practical principles that help me manage life. Right? He, he could be another self-help guru and write a book that they could sell on Amazon. Right, He's all right is to look at Jesus and not just merely see Him as a homeless, poor, Jewish carpenter that roamed the face of the earth some 2,000 years ago with some wisdom and principles that you could perhaps put in the book of Proverbs. But when you look at Jesus, you see majesty, you see glory, you see exaltation, you see honor, you see praise, someone who's worthy of worship, dedication, and loyalty and allegiance, love and affection. And you fall at your feet Filled with joy, though you do not now see Him, you believe him in Him and you rejoice. This faith leads to a rejoicing which leads to the obtaining of the outcome of that faith which is the salvation of your souls. A faith that lacks the substance of joy. Church, listen to me closely. A faith that lacks the substance of joy in your life is not a faith that saves it does not obtain the outcome. Because Peter didn't stop with, you don't see Him, but you believe in Him, and so you're saved. He says, you don't see Him, but you believe in Him, and that belief leads to an eruption of joy in your life. So that no matter what trials you're experiencing, your heart is still rejoicing in what He has, what He is, and what He one day will do. powerful it's able to accomplish what God has set it out to accomplish so what do we do with this let me give you two things this morning two exhortations right spend a lot of time talking about the text let me give you a couple of ways that we need to work this out in life the first one is this look to Jesus for a longer joy there's all kinds of things that you can look to in this life for joy, aren't there? There's all kinds of things you can look to in this life for delight. But look to Jesus for a longer joy. I don't know if you, you guys are familiar with flash paper, but it's like what magicians will use whenever they're doing tricks, right? And stuff burns up right in front of your eyes. Okay, they take a match, they put it to that paper, and it's like phew, instantly no smoke, no ash, it's gone. Phew. Right? And so as it's lit, you take another piece of paper and you put it in there, it consumes that one as well. You can keep funneling those pieces of flash paper left and right, and they're instantly, 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 instantly consumed. Not a good kindling, right? <laughs> but if you take a piece of seasoned oak, and you put it in a fire pit and you start a fire with it, and you work that, that fire with some small twigs and pine straw and leaves, all right, not today. Probably it's going to be a little damp. But you work it, and you keep working it, and blowing, providing oxygen for it, and that oak log catches. All right, it doesn't burn up in a flash, but it burns slowly, releasing heat and light. And as you add another log of that fire, what happens? That one catches, and it slowly burns as well. Listen, everything else that you and I look to in life for joy, for satisfaction, to be fulfilled is like flash paper. Because it might produce a flame, but it's gone in a second. It does not last. Let me see if I can illustrate to you another way, right? right? If we're talking about root, the root of Christian joy is what God's work is. Listen, you guys ever seen daylilies in someone's garden? Okay, out in their flower beds. Right, the day lilies, the reason they have that name, you know why? It's because whenever they put up stalks and those things bloom, they could produce tens of dozens of blooms on one day, but those blooms last for one day. And they die, wither, and fall off. But an orchid, when it blooms... And that little pot sitting on the windowsill, you know, you take care of it. You give it the right they're a little finicky, but you give it the right amount of water and sunlight, and that bloom emerges and it lasts day after day after day after day. Everything else you and I look to in this life for joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction, whether that be another person or whether that be possessions whether that be positions and promotions, whether that be financial flourishing and stability, whether that be the home that we're about to purchase, the renovations that we're doing to the home that we have purchased, or the home that we're selling to liquidate assets and buy another one, right? Whatever it is that we're looking to for joy in this life is like flash paper in a day lily. It burns up instantly and withers in a day. But looking to Jesus as the source and sum of your joy, listen, it's like an oak log that just burns on the fire slowly and produces all kinds of heat in your life and a flower that blooms for weeks on end. So look to Jesus for a better or longer joy. Everything else withers, everything else is consumed in an instant. You know what happens? Listen, this is the irony of the situation, is that it is consumed so quickly, right? You've experienced this before. I see my kids experience this when I take them to Target, right? You've experienced it anytime you make a purchase, right? It's like there's excitement there, and it's there for a couple of days, and then all of a sudden that thing is old and something else is new that's shiny and catches my attention. Whoa, yeah, I've got to have that now, Right? because this gave me joy for a moment, and this will give me joy for a moment, and this is an endless quest. And so we continue to light flash paper, and we continue to plant daylilies, because our experience of those things leaves us wanting more of those things, because it didn't last. It didn't last. And yet our experience with Jesus... Whenever we look at all those things and say all those things, right? A family, a home, food to eat on our, all those things that we might look to, th- to to fill us with joy, and say those are great gifts, but they are terrible gods, and they will destroy your life. So to look at them and say you are a good gift from a good God, and I find all my joy in Him because He's the giver of all good things. And whenever you find your joy in Him, listen, it's going to leave you wanting more, not because it didn't fill you, but because it did. And there is a night and day difference between those two. Second exhortation not only look to Jesus for a longer joy, but look to Him for a better joy. A better joy. So I did a wedding a few years ago and I, the bride was um, sitting there on, at the reception afterwards. And she, you know, they're going through all the speeches and everything. And so she decides she wants to say a few words and as she steps up to the microphone and she looks out upon all of her friends and her family who are gathered there with her. She makes this declaration. She says, My heart is so full. Because here are all the people in her life who have shaped her. All the people in her life who have influenced her. All the people in her life who were of significance to her. All the people in her life who had loved her and whom she had loved. Who had gathered there that day to celebrate God's gift of marriage in her life. And she said, my heart is full. Why would she step back after seeing all those people there and saying, my heart is full? She didn't step back and say, when, when they moved into a new house and say, my heart is full. When she got a new car and say, my heart is full. When she got new, the, the, the latest iPhone and say, my heart is full, Right? Not homes or possessions or technology, electronics or clothing. Here's why. Because our deepest joys, church, are not found in things, but in people. Our deepest joys are not found in stuff, but in the context of relationships. So I want you to consider something with me this morning. This joy that Jesus affords us By God's work, in and through Him. Listen, it's not only a longer joy in duration, but it's a better joy in quality. And here's why. Because if our deepest joys, and you know this to be true, at least if you're a healthy human being, all right? If you don't need something, right? You know that relationships bring the most meaning to your life. Not your address, and not the car that sits in the garage of that address, and not even the experiences that you have as you're able to travel, but the people that are in your life bring the most meaning and substance to it. They make you full. And so if that's true, church, listen, then wouldn't it also be true that the highest person is able to bring the greatest joy? in your life the ultimate person is able to bring ultimate joy the deepest, greatest and highest joy C.S. Lewis said it this way he said God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from Him because it is not there true joy doesn't exist apart from Him that's why in verse 8, Peter says, Even though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I want you to consider something. Peter saw him, <laughs> Peter laid eyes on him, Peter ate with him, Peter sat around the fire with him, shared meals with him, he watched. Jesus teach, heard him teach, watched him heal and restore people. He washed Peter's feet. Peter sees him crucified. Peter experiences him being raised and shares a meal with him by the lake where he's restored after hauling in this miraculous catch of fish. Peter sees him. But look at what Peter says. You haven't seen him and you love him and believe in him. And those affections, those emotions are welling up in the midst of your pain and boiling over it with a joy that is so rich, so lasting, and so full that you can't put it into words. Why? Because the depth of joy that you experience that's inexpressible and filled with glory can only come through the highest person. People, not things, bring the greatest joy in our lives, so the greatest person brings the greatest joy. That's why it's inexpressible. That's why it's filled with glory. That's why you can't find words for it. In fact, the joys that we experience listen, in every other relationship is a shadow of this joy. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. And the enjoyment of Him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is a substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God Himself is the ocean. Look to Jesus for a better joy. Even though you have not seen Him and do not now see Him, church, I want you to know something. That if you're in Christ... You have seen him. You have. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ. But for those who are in Him, the veil has been lifted, the scales have fallen away, and through the eyes of faith, they have not seen a poor first century homeless Jewish carpenter, but the God of creation, the King of the entire universe, God in the flesh, incarnate, who lived in our place and died in our place and was raised from the grave. Through the eyes of faith, you have seen Him. God has illumined Him, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Him from the grave has illumined Him to your heart so that you would cling to Him in faith and trust. You have seen Him through the eyes of faith. And one day you will see Him through the eyes that are inside these sockets that won't need glasses anymore. (laughs) It won't need contacts anymore. It won't need LASIK anymore. Because they'll be healed. you'll see Him in all of His glory. So don't look to the scattered beams and to the drops, but look to the ocean and to the sun Himself. And find your heart to erupt. I'll close with this. And C.S. Lewis's well, I find it to be thrilling series of Chronicles of Narnia. There is a, there is a, a scene both in the, the movies and in the book, but particularly in the book in chapter 7 of The Line, the Witch in the Wardrobe, whenever the children, the Pevensey children, meet the family of beavers who's living there in Narnia. And they're conversing. And one of the beavers hears that they've heard something rumbling throughout the kingdom. And they've heard that the great lion, Aslan, is on the move. And perhaps that he's already landed. Listen to how Lewis describes it. It says, And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it has enormous meaning. Either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and you're always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now for the children. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy, she got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. See, at the name of the lion, the great king their hearts leapt inside with something unimaginable, something unexplainable that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Christian Joy Church will do that in your life. Because it's not rooted in what you've achieved or accomplished, but what God has, is, and will one day do. Which makes it an even though kind of joy that is weighty and wordless and powerful to effect change in your life, if you would but look to Jesus for a longer, lasting, eternal joy, repent of sin and find a better joy in Him as well. A quality of joy that the world cannot hold a candle to. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this Christmas as we wrestle with the shrapnel that's embedded in our lives from this past year. From the division and the isolation to perhaps the addictions that rose in our lives as we were quarantined from people. As we took our eyes off Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at your right hand, we took our eyes off of him and placed them on our circumstances, or we placed them on our fleshly desires that was we sought to cope with all the things happening around us. And perhaps those occasions turned into addictions. And now we're riddled with shame and guilt on account of them. I pray, God, that today, You would remind Your children who are in this room that at Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And all they must do is look at those things they have sought to exchange as sources of joy and say, you may indeed be a good gift in the right context, but you are a horrendous God, a grotesque God. And they would fix their eyes back upon you and your Son, and that your Holy Spirit would flood their hearts with the grace they need to repent and to look to your Son as the one who can provide joy in their life, not only in this life, but in the life to come. A lasting joy that is not consumed in an instant, but burns through every season of our life, even though. And I pray, God, that as well, that they would look to Jesus for a better, higher, more qualitative joy in their experience and that today You might cause their hearts to leap once again where they've been languishing. Awaken, God. May Your Spirit awaken Your people. And Father, for those who have never experienced the new birth, those who have never crossed the line of faith, to turn from self and sin and place their trust in Christ and Christ alone. I pray that today, that this week, might be the time for them to do so. And that Father, whatever questions they have about that, that they would not shrink back from asking them, but they would press forward and step into the light. Help us, God, to be a joyful people. Even though. And anchor us, secure us, hold us fast. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.